Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. It is not an unusual thing for a congregation, in whole or in part, to become dissatisfied with its minister. This is a, uh, a complex phenomenon. There can be a lot of reasons for this. But our text sets before us at least one of the facets, one aspect that uh, we need to be aware of. Uh, lest we likewise fall into the same discontent and problem. You will hear these sorts of complaints. They're actually very common, and if you've been around very much in the church, you will have heard them. You might hear a complaint like this. Well, the minister in his preaching, he is too academic, too much in the way of exegesis and complicated formulation of Doctrine. We want practical preaching. You'll get that sometimes. And then at other times you'll hear something like this. Oh, the, the preaching is just too fluffy. We want the meat of the word. And so it's another kind of complaint. They want more in the way of exegesis and doctrine. As we reflect upon these things, we know that preaching ought to be all of this. Exegesis, doctrine, practice. And almost all Reformed preachers would agree, in principle. And yet the problem remains. Some preachers are good at one aspect, some at another. It's relatively rare that you find someone who is good at all of these facets and aspects, or that excels equally in all of these ways. 
As we work our way toward an understanding of the problem and perhaps uh, a solution, it is probably good for us to keep in mind that as we look at the scriptures, it has been so intended by God. Some ministers are good at one thing, some ministers good at another, and it has been so intended and designed by God. This is something that I have only come to understand in our recent ruminations on the office of doctor. Is there a distinct office of doctor? I'm still working on that question. But I am prepared to uh, declare what I believe to be the word of God in a matter very closely related. Are there different preaching gifts? There most certainly are. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we will pick up with verse 6. (coughs) Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion (coughs) of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, on teaching. Or he that exhorteth, on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, with diligence. He that showeth mercy, with cheerfulness. I want you to notice something there in verse uh, 6. Notice that the gifts are portrayed as differing according to the grace that is given to each one. But it's, uh, the gifts are differing. This is a very important point because uh, as we look at the different gifts that are mentioned here, and it would be a very long discussion to uh, try to te- treat of each, but the idea is that one single man... It's not likely to get all of these. Uh, A particular man might get one or two of these. And that's okay because he's just one part of a whole body. Some other ones will get the other ones. And when you bring them all together, you get wholeness or completeness. But no man is intended to be whole and complete on his own. I want you to notice here that there are uh, at least two Uh, different kinds of teaching that are talked about here. One uh, style here, teaching, and another exhortation. In the not-too-distant future, we'll treat this at greater length. For our purposes, all you really need to see is that there are two different uh, kinds of teaching in view here, even if you're not sure what they are, and that not every man is necessarily going to get both of these gifts. Teaching probably... Uh, refers mostly to the information of the mind, which we would associate with exegesis and doctrine, and exhortation to practical uh, living. 
So a single teacher may receive both, but not necessarily. Uh, and uh, I, I should say here, because I don't want to draw a false dichotomy, of course, any minister who uh, does exegesis and doctrine well is going to be able to draw some measure of application to, and no one can draw application without doing exegesis and doctrine. So these are not... These are not airtight compartments. What we're talking about is gifts in which men really excel. And haven't we all known in practice that some ministers are good at one thing and some at another? And they don't necessarily, uh, I might even say, they rarely excel at all. Another text to consider, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you'll turn there with me. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. I want you to notice again what Paul makes so very clear, that there are a diversity of gifts. To one, one gift. To another, a different gift. We have a, uh, a similar sort of distinction in, uh, in teaching gifts. Here, uh, different language, but probably very much to the same purpose. A word of wisdom, which is probably practical, uh, practical living, and a word of knowledge, doctrinal and informational, the informing of the mind. A single minister may receive both, but not necessarily. Notice what, what Paul says. Uh, to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. So it's not necessarily to be found in the same man. And again, I appeal to your experience. Have you not known ministers who are quite good in the explanation of Scripture texts? Resolving Scripture difficulties? Deriving doctrine? But perhaps comparatively weak in... Application and bringing that application with forcefulness and spiritual power? And have you ever, on the other hand, um, been listening to a different kind of minister who really excels in application but found yourself a little bit frustrated because in his text there was a famous scriptural problem or question 
and you wanted to hear it explained, or uh, this was a famous commonplace for a doctrinal controversy, and you wanted to hear that doctrine treated. But he simply skates by those things and moves on to uh, application. I think that we probably all have had this experience. Well, we are not the first. Paul talks about it, and the Westminster Assembly treated it. Uh, in your outline, you should have from the Westminster form of government, from the section on uh, the teacher or doctor. And here, even if you are uh, not all too sure that this is to be thought of as a distinctive office, yet they give great uh, practical wisdom in this very point. The Lord, having given different gifts and divers exercises according to these gifts in the ministry of the word, so these different gifts may meet in and accordingly be exercised by one and the same minister, yet where be several ministers in the same congregation, they may be designed to several employments according to the different gifts in which each of them doth most excel. And he that doth more excel in the exposition of Scripture, in teaching sound doctrine, and in convincing gainsayers, than he doth in application, and is accordingly employed therein, may be called a teacher or a doctor. The places alleged by the notation of the word do prove the proposition. Nevertheless, where is but one minister in a congregation, he is to perform, as far as he is able, the whole work of the ministry. You see here the wisdom uh, as well as the biblical understanding of the Westminster Divines. It's evident we see men with different gifts. The Bible talks about it. And if you are able to have more than one minister, each laboring according to the gifts in which he doth most excel, this is for the greater profit of the congregation. And there would probably be less dissatisfaction, wouldn't there? If you had uh, you know, men who were uh, good at different things, each laboring in that which they excel most. But then you also have the situation where sometimes there can only be one and he must do his best to do all. But I think almost every minister who uh, assesses himself soberly will say, well, I do some things well, and it comes easily to me, and I do other things not as well, and only with great difficulty. And he might try to strengthen his weaknesses, but he might find that even after great labor, um, he's still struggling to do what another man does easily. I had uh, an experience that began to open my eyes. I don't know if you remember when uh, Pastor Adam King was with us visiting. At the time, I don't know, Pastor King might be uh, 10 years my junior. At the time, he was not married, no children. He came to visit our house, and he stayed with us. Uh, he sat with my children in their playroom, and he talked to them about spiritual things as they with trains and I sat there at the door listening to this 
And I was astounded, because here I had been a father these good handful of years, and I didn't have this ability to talk to my children that, um, that this young minister had by gifting. I had labored to be able to uh, speak to my children. It was difficult for me to do. It was a labor. And here this young man comes in, and he talks to them quite naturally and quite easily. And it occurred to me, I could work all of my life to get better at this, and I must, and still not have what he has by God's gift. God simply gave it to him as a gift. Recent studies have also helped me understand my experience. You might find it difficult to believe, but I have received complaints from time to time. Sometimes the complaints have been quite loud concerning my deficiencies as a preacher. And you probably can guess the areas in which I have been pointed out to be deficient. Uh, I do find exegesis and doctrine uh, a bit more natural for me. I'm a bit more at home there. Uh, the development of lively and spiritual application has been a labor for me. Something that I have had to work at. I have worked at it. Um, uh, compared to the other portion, I, I, I've invested more labor in it to try to supplement my weakness. But even this can be a very frustrating experience for everyone. When... Uh, you see, a congregation can think he's not improving in that area because he's not, in try he's not trying. Because, of course, if he just try, he would become well-rounded and well-nigh perfect in this area. And so they're frustrated. They think he's not trying. And the man's frustrated. I am trying, but progress is just slow. It's a difficult thing. And I've worked and I've worked and I've worked. And I do see that I'm still easily excelled by others in this. Is this a, an occasion for complaining? It can be. If a, uh, if a man won't acknowledge his wants, his defects, and if he won't try, or if he wouldn't admit another to come alongside and help him, sure, there is an occasion for uh, complaining. But we must recognize that the solution might very well be in the gifting of a completely different person altogether. The solution might not be in himself. As the Westminster divines say, if he's by himself, he must do the best that he can to do everything. But we should also reckon with the fact that he can labor after something uh, and never attain what another simply receives as a gift. The Spirit distributes his gifts, and he doesn't necessarily invest a particular man with all of the preaching gifts. As a matter of fact, if you think back over your own experience, a man with all of the gifts is comparatively rare. And we see in the Word of God that God has done this on purpose. And I hope that we wouldn't think that we have grounds to complain or be frustrated at the purpose of God. But he has done this on purpose. Why? 
He has done it to humble men. There is no one man that is going to be everything to the church. And it is good that it is that way. Second, it fosters body life. It, uh, if, the, if the church is going to be healthy, it's really going to take everyone. And uh, you will have something like the, uh, a complete ministry in the gifts and graces of multiple people. And that's good. We'll talk about this a little bit later. I remember uh, hearing uh, Larry Burkett, and he's talking about financial matters. And he said, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ always gives his church everything that it needs. Always. Now here he's talking about finances, but he said, he always gives it everything that it needs. But he does not distribute it to the areas of need. And what this does is it forces us into body life. Where uh, those who abound in one thing bring that to supply the wants and necessities of others. And uh, financial gifts and talent gifts work in very much the same way. This is also greatly glorifying to the one God. Even as man is humbled and abased, and seeing that he sees his inadequacies in various areas, and yet uh, those, ad- those inadequacies supplied by the Spirit of God through the gifting of others, God is greatly glorified in the assembly. Men are humbled. And I say all of that, and you are thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with our text? Just everything. Remember our context. We have been looking with John into uh, something of a spiritual picture of the church of Jesus Christ. The great God of heaven is enthroned in the midst of her and the holy of holies, but there is now no more veil. The uh, throne is surrounded by the 24 priest kings representatives of the entire body of Christ. And that same throne is surrounded, but much more closely, by four living creatures. Not, um, not angels now, but men. Men who sing the song of the redeemed. These are uh, members and part of the church. But uh, as I said, over time we're going to continue to collect more and more evidence that these are ministers as well. We had looked at one principal point that they do call the church to worship by proclaiming the glory of God in her midst. They are fewer than the 24 and uh, differentiated from them in some way. They are closer to the throne and they are portrayed as being full of eyes, eyes upon the throne and eyes upon their charges. We come this morning to verse 7. And we get this description. And the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. We are now given further information concerning their appearance. One appears like a lion. Another like a calf. Another has a man's face. And the other looks like a flying eagle. 
So these living uh, creatures have different qualities. And these qualities are evoked by their appearance. In, in coming sermons, we're going to talk more specifically about um, what the differences in the appearance convey, both from the scripture as well as a universal perception of these creatures and their principal qualities. But some of this you'll already know. None of this will sound strange to you. What do you think of when you think of the lion? It's the same in scripture. Boldness and courage, certain sort of ferocity. What do you think of when you think of a calf or an ox? Laboriousness, strong and steady, tame, patient in labor. What do you think of when you think of man? Especially as differentiated from these creatures. Intelligence, wisdom, humanity. And finally, the uh, flying eagle. There's a certain sort of majesticness as it soars to great heights. As great clarity of vision, swift in its motions. You'll find the same things in Scripture, and we'll look at this in more detail. I just want to provide a sketch for you. We have here, and don't lose your place in Revelation, but we have here a clear allusion to Ezekiel chapter 1. If you'll turn back there with me. Ezekiel chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. And the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under the wings on their four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. There is a principle of difference between these cherubs and the living creatures of Revelation chapter 4. Notice here that each one of these angelic cherubs each has all four faces. Whereas in Revelation chapter 4, each cherub only has one. And they only have all four together. Very important distinction. As you look at not only the faces, but the full description of the angelic cherubs here in Ezekiel chapter 1, we find that the cherubs, these angelic beings, are fully gifted, each and every one, for the task that they have been set to. 
And so we see here a rich and full gifting for them. But in the world of men and ministers, the gifts are given distributively. One to this man and another to that man. Some receive certain gifts and graces and others will receive others. And so here we do have a point of doctrinal import. Each minister will have a gift that is useful to the body, but their gifting is only full conjointly and together. And so here you have something of a living picture of what was described in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That not all of them have the same gift. In order to have all of the gifts or a full complement of gifts, they must have them together. This makes uh, uh, the multiplicity of ministers in a congregation a very desirable thing and we will talk about this in uh, in a few minutes in our in our second sermon but here I hope that we begin to see a partial solution to what has been a vexing problem and frustration between congregations and their ministers perhaps a lot of the frustration is born out of uh, mistaken and unbiblical expectations and a failure to soberly reckon with the fact that no man was intended to be complete unto himself, that God has thus ordained it for the humbling of man, for body life, and for his own greater glory. The one God who alone is able to supply all of the needs of his people. Let us pray together.